Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Murder, she wrote. Is this the end of week 31? This is the end of week 32. 32. Okay, see? See? This is why I don't do this. It's episode 149, if you are curious. I am actually curious. All right. It's it's episode what? 149. 149. Of streaming in place? Yeah. <laughs> you have to keep this. This is this, I'm having a full body reaction. Woo! <laughs> That's wild. We started this 5 minutes ago. <laughs> Well, in that case, hello, listeners. Welcome back to Streaming in Place. I'm one of your co-hosts, Noel Kirkpatrick, and I'm joined as ever by Kate Kolzak. Say hello, Kate. Hello, Kate. There we go. Good. That's what I was looking for. And Allison is still in a state of shock as we end week 32 um, with episode number 149 of Streaming in Place. (laughs) She she's in deep denial about this, folks. Um, just deep, deep denial, um, which I think we all are. That's just a state that we exist in right now. Um, but today on Streaming in Place, we're discussing Murder, She Wrote. And we're not just discussing Murder, She Wrote as a show, because that's just way too much to talk about. It ran for 12, 13 seasons um, and so many backdoor pilots. But <laughs> we are talking very specifically about the season one episode... Depending on your how you count it, what eighteen or nineteen or twenty on Amazon or Prime. twenty? Okay, goodness Cause, gracious! Because the pilot is episode zero, some places. Yeah. Episode one, other places, and episode one and episode two on Amazon yeah. Prime. So because it it's double length. So. Yeah. 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 So depending on where you watched it, I watched it on Peacock and I think it was episode 19, but I honestly can't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murder Takes the Bus, which is one of my favorite episodes from the first season and one of my favorite episodes of this show as a whole, uh, in no small part because of its star-studded, ridiculously stacked to the walls guest cast, um, but also just a psycho riff for no particular reason. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to throw it to Kate first, since we never get to throw to Kate first. Kate, what's your experience with Murder Takes the Bus? I love the score for Psycho so much, guys. I haven't gotten... Wait, I might have played part of it once, but it is a massively huge score in the history of of film music. Because, Well, first of all, because it's amazing. But also because it is a very rare thing in film music where it is a fully string orchestral score there are no winds there are no there's no percussion but it's just a string orchestra so as a violinist you know when we have to do like pops concerts where we do movie music and stuff it's a very popular choice because it's cheap because you don't have to pay other musicians on different instruments to bring them bring them in for it and you can give you know do fewer rehearsals for all the winds and everything um and yet despite that i don't i've seen it performed i don't think i've had the opportunity to to play it myself but i love it it's super it's just so you knew I was going to love this episode when it opens and as soon as they're on the bus in the pouring rain, we get our Marion Crane shout out, which is one of the, this is a Janet Lee character, shall we say, from Psycho, uh, who spends the opening like sequence of that movie tensely, nervously driving in her car with doom, you know, just hanging over her with this score. So the fact that the, for Murder Takes the Bus, they're like, well, the name of the episode is Murder Takes the Bus. 
they're going to be on a bus. Uh, let's do Psycho, but we're not going to pay Bernard Herrmann. Uh, so let's just do Psycho-ish. We're not even going to quote it. We're just going to yeah. do Psycho adjacent for the scoring. You better believe I was, I was just going to be like waiting for, are they going to quote? Oh, they're not. Oh, that's actually kind of more interesting and more challenging as a composer to evoke without actually quote. So yes, I, I enjoyed this episode and I enjoyed it from the opening minutes on the bus because of the psycho riff. Were you guys anywhere near as, 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 uh, I guess chuffed, I will say as myself for that. Um, you know, I'm not sure that I picked up on, I also love the psycho score and I'm not sure that I picked up on it on my own. I've seen this episode so many times though, that when I'm noticing new things, it tends to be as is often the case with me, actually like little tiny minuscule acting beats. Those are the things where I'm like, like Rue McClanahan (laughs) does so much little tiny stuff. It's so fun to watch. Man, actors who know their shit and just put in the work and don't hold back even when it seems like it's something a little bit silly it's one of my favorite things to watch so everybody is really firing on all cylinders here so uh, point being all of the little things i noticed tend to be like room and clanahan tightened her lips a tiny bit or linda blair didn't roll her eyes and you could tell she wanted to roll her eyes but she didn't and like all of that stuff um but i think that the opening is just great they do such a nice job of setting up this feeling of dread while also making sure that it's got both of its feet planted firmly in cozy mystery territory. Um, I think a perfect example is when, and I can never remember his name. I'm going to check it because it's such a good name. Hold on. Um, It's the bow tie guy. What is his name? Cyrus Leffingwell. Um, (laughs) When Cyrus Leffingwell walks up and is just chatting with Jessica as they wait for the bus, as one is wont to do. Um, And then there's thunder and lightning. And then he goes, seems like rain in about 20 minutes. Every time it gets me. Every time I laugh. What? I don't know if that was intended as a joke or not, but I hope it was because it's very funny. Like, it's very obviously going to rain. He's like, hmm, I feel it in my bones. It's about to rain. As there's like, and the light is flashing. Um, So anyway, my point is that I also really enjoy all of the ingredients um, that and the way they fit together as we're leading up to the diner. I think it is incredibly successful. It feels a lot like, and obviously intentionally, this is a, Maybe Murder, She Wrote's most intentional Agatha Christie homage. Um, You get the sense of all of the players arriving one at a time and the little details that draw you in about that person. And and then they all get on the bus and you all know they're going somewhere to be trapped together even before the storm takes out the roads, essentially. Um, You just know that's what's going to happen. And it's so satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that Agatha Christie point's really spot on in no small part because the cast, as I said, is just kind of ridiculous for this episode, um, which would it be is ridiculous in like Agatha Christie adaptations. You think about like um, either version of either cinematic version of Murder on the Orient Express, which is just stacked. Um, so this episode has Linda Blair. It has Michael Constantine. It's Terrence Knox, who's great. Um, you've got Larry Linville, who's amazing in this. You've got the aforementioned Rue McClanahan. Um, you've got Albert Salmi, um, who's also really, really great. You've got Mills Watson in the thankless role as the diner owner, but he's really, really good in this, I think. And David Wayne as Cyrus Leffen- Leffingwell, who is also just very good in this episode. Um, and it's just a who's who crackerjack box treat of 
TV character actors who know exactly what to do and when to do it and how to do it. So it's always a delight, like you say, Allison, to go back to this and watch everyone do little bits of business and everyone also get little bits of business to play. Um, so I just really enjoy it, even if in particular Linville gets the short end of the stick because he just gets to play an asshole. And that's all Larry Linville gets to play is assholes. <laughs> poor Frank Burns. Poor, poor Frank Burns. Um, but every, and then you get Tom Bosley coming back as, um, Amos. And so he pops up and that's always a delight. Um, I was always really upset that he got his own show and had to leave Murder, She Wrote. Um, that was always really sad for me. But yeah, no, it's like just full on Agatha Christie of, all right, which and then there were none situation are we in right now kind of deal. <laughs> um, and the answer, I think, is really delightful because of how you get all these really famous people. And what's our rule from Lucifer? If we recognize them, they've done it. The problem is we recognize everyone in this in this episode. So who did it? And one of the real pleasures for me in this is the ways that they structure and play out those reveals, um, which is the other thing I really, really like about this episode. Well, talking about whodunit, if we all know them, you know, Marcus says, I was having expecting it to go full murder on the Orient Express. And I won't explain what that means in case anybody doesn't know what that means. Uh, But I like that they play with that a little bit by Mm -hmm. being like, yes, he was stabbed. Aha, but he was, his stuff was rifled through by somebody else. Ah, but he was actually strangled. Like, so they're like, well, we can at least get like a solid three whodunits out mm-hmm. of this situation, and maybe we can even try to spin some more, you know? Uh, they they did a good job of building up that tension in a way that, like, I won't say it's believable, because it's absolutely not. It's ridiculous. No. <laughs> but you buy in early on, and so, like, you're really comfortable going along with, with the journey and the story of it. I was disappointed when we get to the diner and all of the psycho music goes away, and I was like, oh. Yes. We, if we're gonna do Agatha Christie, can we get then get like a, like English period drama background music instead or something? But I did find the second half of it dragged a bit more than I wanted, and it uh, it 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 was missing some of the flair. It just sort of settles into like a normal Murder She Wrote episode, uh, but it was still because of those performances and because of you know. You know, Allison, like you're saying, because like, ah, meaningful glance, capital M, capital G from Rue McClanahan. She's noticing that book, so I will as well. You know, like, there's a lot of really fun, uh, you know, details that keep you very, at least kept me very invested. One of the things that I love about her performance, I mean, like, she obviously was a national treasure, a titan of sitcoms. Um, This was like six-ish months before she before golden girls debuted so this right. is so same so she had a good year for tv she had a great say. year um and obviously was already a a big yeah. star within the world of sitcoms um specifically when uh golden girls kicked off um but one of the things that i admire most about her performance here is that she does so much to contribute to the slow ratcheting up of the tension um, by just getting progressively more and more anxious like mm-hmm. she and then she'll come down a little like when she apologizes for snapping at the diner owner about the coffee and whether or not it was poison she just and so loud noises happen and she reacts in a really big way and that makes everyone else more tense and it's the kind of little um attention to detail thing you can tell that she thought about 
her emotional, the progression of her emotional state, um, which when you're doing a story like this one, when everybody is trapped in the same space and we're in sort of a locked room situation is really important. Um, I also want to mention uh, I was Keenan is not in the chat with us today because she had to work, but we were talking about it last night um, as I was watching, just sort of texting about it. And she asked me whether or not this qualifies as a bottle episode. Um, and this is one of those like mushy gray areas. But the answer is no. Um, yeah. It's uh, more than one location. Only one of those locations is uh, like a full standing set, which is the bus. We do occasionally see people take the bus on Murder, She Wrote. So whether this was the first one or not, I'm not sure, but we see them on buses. Um, but there are outside shots. There's rain and all of that stuff. And for it to be a true bottle episode, it has to also be about conserving money. And it, that is not <laughs> this isn't an episode where they were like, let's pinch pennies. No, because they hired too many famous people. <laughs> I know. They hired so many famous people. And then also, I mean, some of the storm effects are better than others. But, you know, it's not, it isn't um, um, 17 people. I was trying to think mm -hmm. of like a really straightforward bottle episode. And the, I mean, the fly is the obvious one. But I, I don't know why I went with 17 people. <laughs> Please vote. Well, <laughs> you've mentioned Rue McClanahan and the librarian. And one of the notes I had about this actually very specifically pertain to you, Allison, which is you probably should just steal your book from all the libraries so they have to buy it again. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can keep goosing the book sales. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! They, they've um, put late fees as a... Uh... A thing of the past here in Chicago. I think it's permanent. Maybe it was due to the pandemic. I don't know. I, I was not paying attention. I should know that. Regardless, they just keep automatically renewing it for me. So I'm going to have to work really hard to steal my own book from the library. I haven't put it back yet because <laughs> I haven't put the letter in it yet. So I'm so it's right. It's right here. I better do it this week because they just keep renewing it for me. <laughs> Marcus says Jessica Fletcher is a criminal mastermind getting people to steal her books to boost sales. Um, and the, the part of that that stood out to me, besides just being a charming little interaction, is that yeah. it establishes that like half to two thirds of the way through the season, it's been a couple years since the yeah. pilot. Like, yeah. when's the last time that was the case? That they're like, it's not like a year each season. It's like, no, it's been a few years since the first episode. Which, I mean, you kind of just, like, it's one of the, like, charms, but also just you kind of roll with it kind of things. Is like, you watch these episodes whenever they aired. And mm -hmm. sometimes you watched it, like, two years after the fact, um, depending on, like, rerun schedules or um, five years after the fact when you watched it in syndication. And a lot of times syndication just didn't air the episodes in order. They just, like, mm -hmm. picked the best episodes and kept running them. Um, so yeah, no, it's very silly when you watch all of it in order and go, wait, what, how, why I'm confused. How fast is she churning out these books? <laughs> uh, Marcus says, uh, Jessica Fletcher also happened to have someone witness her getting her fingerprints all over the crime scene and evidence. I was going to say like, when do we start our discussions about Jessica Fletcher as a serial killer? Because clearly <laughs> like they were not following protocol. I know like, only I'm trying to think of a show like Cobb, not a cop, where they follow protocol. Elementary, they're very distinct about always putting on gloves and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like she's just like touching everything. Like, this is a murder weapon. But then also let's search all his pockets. <laughs> let's explain all of these fingerprints. You know, usually, and I don't know if this is maybe something that evolved with the show, but usually 
Murder, She Wrote is really good about making sure that Jessica always has a handkerchief with her. So if mm-hmm. she's picking something yeah. up, she's using handkerchief. But yeah, all of the like, the little touches. <laughs> um, not not great. Uh, the most unbelievable thing uh, is that no one suspects Jessica. Someone would have suspected Jessica. She's a mystery yeah. writer. Someone would have said, well, maybe you did it. You know how to play in the perfect crime. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have said. I would have said, I think maybe we should wonder about the mystery writer. Maybe. The, let's wonder about the person who's, steer, who's talking in the ear of the police officer and friends yeah. with the cop. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it is uh, one of the delightful threads of Murder, She Wrote, that Jessica is ostensibly also the sheriff of Cabot Cove, at least while Amos Tupper is still the sheriff, because he just will say something and he'll look to her for confirmation and she'll yes, nod. Yes, constantly, and it's great. It's it's very, very funny. And you could tell she doesn't want to step on his toes, but like, Amos, maybe we should do this. <laughs> maybe we, we should, should look mm-hmm. at the body to see no. what happened. Oh, I guess we probably should. Where everyone was, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. Um, that sounds like a great idea, ma'am. It's just like, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. No wonder you got run out of Cabot Cove by that young guy for a little. <laughs> in that bad election episode. Yeah. That is a bad episode. Um, <laughs> one of the few, like, wow, you should probably watch this at a specific point because it will get referenced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um so what do we think about like the ways in which this kate you mentioned that it kind of slogs um a little bit i don't really find that to be the case but i one of the things i do really like about is that constantine gets that great confession scene about stabbing him with the screwdriver Mm -hmm. at like the 30 minute mark and you're kind of like wait hang on obviously this isn't it however what's the rest of the episode yeah um yeah and, like, a lot of that, I think, is bolstered by, I think, Constantine's really, really great in that scene. Like, he gets the juiciest bit of everyone. Um, and he, I think he really, really nails it. But what do you think about, like, the rest of everything getting played out? Like, did you suspect that our very out-of-place sea captain? <laughs> <laughs> See, the guy wearing a sea captain costume? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Was was our culprit all along, or like, do they set up enough red herrings, sort of, to kind of get a good sense of things? I kept waiting for there to be more red herrings, actually. Like, I kept, you know, and actually, I appreciate that there weren't so many, but like, I was like, when are they gonna? Hey, when is Linda Blair's scene gonna happen? Mm-hmm. And then it never happens. She never gets anything to do. Uh, and and uh, and so I was I was actually looking for more. But um, I do agree that that the confession scene is really good, and I, you know, I, I was less, I was much more interested in Linda Blair than I was the character's husband. And so when he got the more interesting stuff to do, I was like, oh, oh, she's just there to be pregnant and going, honey, but no. <laughs> um, so that was disappointing to me. Uh, I, I thought that we would get more with like laying out all of the like where everybody was at what time. And we didn't didn't quite get that either. But I I think it's more like looking at how these whodunit episodes, like these Agatha Christie style, like everybody's trapped in a, you know, the ski lodge and the slopes are closed because there was an avalanche, right? These kinds of things through time that that format has like 
I was going to say crystallized, but it has, like, tweaked, tweaked, like, over the years. So this is an earlier version of that. And it's actually kind of charming to me that they imply but never bother to specifically say, well, actually, the guy playing the arcade game, you don't have to play it for it to make the noise. It just, he has no alibi. And this, like, I kept waiting for them to spell out more of that. Um, So I, I thought the stuff we got was good. I like that in the end, there are reasons for far too many of them to want to kill this guy. Uh, very little interest paid to how do you know he's going to be on this? Is this literally the only bus that stops at that place all it day? It might be. I mean, I guess. I think, I mean, I think probably it is. It's not, okay. it's obviously like in the Greyhound line, not the um, short travel line, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So it, it's probably the same route every day and it probably makes you know one run and leaves at the same time so you could in theory grow i i grew up in a town you know not obviously not cabot cove um but sort of similarly sized and um we didn't have a bus that stopped (laughs) that stopped there but you could drive to the next town over and get uh, the bus anyway yeah okay yeah um I had a very pleasurable experience. I've watched it twice, twice since we um, last spoke. Uh, but one of the times I watched it, I watched it with Tom, who had not seen it, who was like, no, Murder, She Wrote's your thing. It's not my thing. I'm not going to watch it. And then, of course, he watched the entire thing um, because it's Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to watch it. Uh, but I got to he's a talker during TV and I got to watch him have and listen to him have all of the moments that you're supposed to have. Which was a really useful way to watch this episode, honestly, because Kate, like you, I also thought, oh, well, Jessica walked away from the the video game and it's still making noise so that there's a big hole in his alibi. And I was surprised they didn't return to it. I wonder if maybe it seems so deliberate that I wonder if maybe it's on the cutting room floor somewhere. Yeah. Um, But Tom said when he saw the screwdriver, he said, oh, it's the bus driver. Um, then he said, oh, I guess maybe not at the point when the confession speech happened again, as intended, he said, wait, there can't be jewelry in that briefcase. He left it on the table again, exactly as intended. Um, and there were a couple others where I was like, oh, when she started protesting about the book, he said that book is definitely in her bag. Right. (laughs) So he did all of the things that you're supposed to do. The format of specifically mysteries like these because they're so recognizable um when you're crafting one it's all about thinking about what the viewer is going to see and then playing to and against that so sometimes people get the experience of figuring out something before jessica does and sometimes they get duped by the form itself so Mm -hmm. for example we all rule out the bus driver because he confesses. But then that is the big trick is that is why he did it. That's why he stabbed him with the screwdriver so that he could have essentially an alibi, Um, which I think is really brilliant. Like that is the, that is the choice they make where I'm like, that's sophisticated. That's Mm -hmm. thinking like your audience and like a mystery writer at the same time. So Mm -hmm. that is the one where I was like, yeah, well played. (laughs) Jess. I was also waiting for the conversation around who has the hands and the size to strangle that guy. Because he wasn't small. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that feels like that would eliminate a good, like, chunk of the diner. Marcus says, though, wouldn't that still be attempted murder? It would. He would still get charged for that. Um, well, do we have anything else? Uh, Marcus, if you have anything, toss them in the chat. Um, toss it to Allison first, since Kate needs a drink of water for no particular reason. <laughs> anything else stand out to you about this episode? Oh, um, I mean, I think it's just really good. You know, we tend to, in the critical sense, undervalue things that are formulaic sometimes. And I think that formulas, good formulas, have stood the test of time for a reason. Um, And when you can sort of inject new life into the form, that's great. But you don't always have to do that. Sometimes you can just execute it really well. And I think this is, there are much weirder episodes of Murder, She Wrote. And the next time we do a single episode of Murder, She Wrote, we are definitely going to do one of the ones where Jessica plays her own British cousin, um, (laughs) the music hall performer. Um, What, you don't want to do the virtual reality episode with Kevin Sorbo? (laughs) I mean, there are so many choices. We could watch the one where Brian Cranston's the victim. Um, that one has another really stacked guest cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all, we've got lots of choices. I also am a big fan of the like Jessica Fletcher presents episodes because about halfway through the run, Angela Lansbury was like, I, I'm an icon. Why am I doing 23 episodes of this a season? I still want to do it, but like, I'm, I'm an icon. So they cut down. So there are a certain number of episodes a season, quite a number of them in a couple seasons where she, um, essentially is like, oh, I didn't see you there. I was just thinking about my next book. And then she talks about the basis of a story and essentially narrates a story in which Jessica Fletcher does not appear. And those tend to be really fun and silly with big guest stars. So, Oh, that Ken Howard episode. He plays like a former football coach or football <laughs> player who solves <laughs> mysteries with a dog. I forgot about that one. it's so weird there's another one (laughs) there's another one where speaking of dogs where a dog gets framed for a murder because the the person who died is his owner and then that very rich man left the bulk of his fortune to the dog so then i don't remember who actually did it but somebody frames the dog for murder (laughs) it's so good anyway this is just the money, obviously. Oh, Marcus says motive for the dog, and the the motive is the money in his will. Um, it's, I mean, obviously it's an accident. Like that's what they're they're trying to say that the dog accidentally shot his owner. Anyway, um, but there's something to be said for an episode like this one, which is just it's just a mystery, and it's a good one, and um, it's like crawling under a warm blanket. I love it. Okay. Yeah, it's just absolutely delightful. I've really, I really had fun revisiting it. And I will second Allison what you were saying. Like, I am a big fan of the procedural, as listeners of the podcast know. And a well executed procedural is one of my favorite TV things. Um, so it was fun to, to get a little time, especially like it's a good Halloween kind of like spooky, but still very murder. She wrote, but also still like atmospheric enough, you know, to really be a good fit with the season and all. So it was, it was delightful to spend some time uh, with Jessica Fletcher, which is always fun, but also with this guest cast and to have a little, a little fun with it. Marcus says the, this should have been longer to really get more of the characters as suspects. And I would have been all for that. The last thing I will mention is we've already kind of shouted out the, the diner owner. Uh, and, I I really like that performance and the writing for him as well because it's like somebody's killing people like in your diner and you're he's very chill you know 
He's just very like, well, one of you guys is a murderer. This person just like admitted to attempted murder, and this person is admitted to rifling through stuff and being, you know, a thief and and all this stuff. Then anybody need a, a warm up? You know, their coffee. Uh, when he just like decided hey, coffee's on the house, guys. Like, seems like you guys are going through enough. It it is absolutely delightful, and you can tell like there's just an air of. Well, if you guys weren't here, I would be stuck in this storm by myself with no com- nobody coming in, no way for me to get home. So, hey, at least it's something entertaining. Let's find out who did it. So there's, there's just so much to appreciate about this episode. I'm, I'm really glad that we, that we decided to do this one. You know, the thing that I like about it is to me, his energy reads like, yeah, I mean, this happens every couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, like he's very matter of fact about it. Yeah, just okay. got this apple pie ready for the next murder. That's great. <laughs> and yeah, of course, I'll bring you a slice of cheddar. Let me know when you get to the stage where we're debunking the red herrings. I would love that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, Marcus says, was this in Maine? Could this be uh, Stephen King <laughs> in the Stephen King universe? Yes. It is in Maine because they're on their way to Portland um, mm-hmm. from Cabot Cove. So, yes, they are in mm-hmm. Maine. So, yeah, absolutely. This is a part of Stephen. We can make this a part of the Stephen King cinematic and literary universe. Mills Watson was in the Cujo adaptation, so it all checks out to me. Yep. Well, it's very Storm of the Century. So if y'all are looking for oh, another God. spooky Yes, miniseries. I remember being obsessed with Storm of the Century in the mid-90s. Bjorman. Oh, he's so good at it. He's so good. good. (laughs) Anyway, we should do that soon. (laughs) Do you have any? We should. Maybe we should do that after our next show. But, Noel, do you have any thoughts before we do that? No, I'll just co-sign everything that both of you just said, because anything I would have said, you both just said in terms of formula and format and everything. So you're both very, very great. So I don't need to add anything. (laughs) But yeah, Kate, why don't you tell us about our next show and our kind of change in schedule and format? Absolutely. So, listeners, we will be going on to a, a, another show that I will actually allow Allison to introduce because she's going to be taking over hosting duties because I haven't seen it. Um, but we're going to be switching from, you know, every day we've been doing four, uh, we've been missing days here and there. Um, we need to scale back. We got too much other work and life stuff going on right now. So we're not able to sustain the everyday thing. So, but we're going to keep doing Mondays and Wednesdays. So two episodes a week. Um, and uh, you're always listeners welcome to join in on the Zoom and you can reach out on Twitter if you don't have the link for the Zoom and I can hook you up. Or you can search through the feed. It's it's back in the Twitter feed. You just have to look a little bit. Um, but we will be switching to Allison, our new show. Lodge 49. Um, Lodge 49 is a sadly short-lived AMC series that's pretty recent. Uh, if you have never heard of it, it would seem that that's by design. Um, AMC <laughs> didn't do a great job selling what is an admittedly hard-to-sell show. Um, but wow, I wish it had landed on a network that was... Um, I don't know. It's not like AMZ has done bad by its TV shows, but was more interested in sort of finding the right way to talk about a strange genre bending, um, emotionally complex ensemble comic drama about 
fate and loneliness. Um, <laughs> Great. I, I, I'm so excited already. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, unfortunately, when we reach the end of the second season, that's it for the show. So I and I stopped partway through the second season. I just got too busy. Um, so I've been saving those episodes for a while. So I don't actually know how it ends. I have no idea how well the second season finale works as an unintentional series finale. Um, but I'm excited to see it. You can watch at least in the United States, you can watch Lord Lodge 49 on Hulu. Um, I am now hoping that Marcus will also have easy access to it. Um, and if Prime in Canada, great. Um, so Prime in Canada and Vince, I don't know, tell us where you're, you're going to be watching. <laughs> um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. There are, there's, there are a number of excellent performances, but there's one performance in Lodge 49 in particular that I am so excited for Kate and Noel to see because it is just masterful and so wonderful. And you're about to both become huge fans of an actor you might not have seen very much of before, which is so exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Lodge 49 starting Monday. Noel, do you know anything about the show? I know absolutely nothing about the show, just that you and I kept discussing trying to watch it, and then we never did. No, we never did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marcus says, I know it's well regarded, but I know nothing of what it is actually about. And yeah, when it started, I kind of was hesitant to watch it because of the way it was presented um, in the ads and stuff, which was very much like listless, somewhat lost, white, middle-aged dude who is belongs to a lodge and is having a hard time, but has no trouble with money. And I was like, I don't really need that story in my life right now. And by the time I found out from people who were watching it, that actually, no, it's really interesting and and really good. I was like, Oh, that would be a lot of work to catch up with. (laughs) Um, And and then the praise just kept growing. And, and, but so did like the, how behind I was. And so when I realized I was not going to catch up by the time it ended, um, I was like, okay, well, sometime. And so I'm excited for sometime to be now. It's good. It feels like a good show for the moment. Like it's just Mm -hmm. weird enough that I think it's going to appeal. And also um, for anyone who is feeling like Kate, where man, I don't want to watch a show about a good looking straight white guy with with um, no money problems, uh, I am delighted to inform you that the premise of the entire show is that he has giant money problems. Oh, um, good. See, that is now so, what they conveyed to me in their ads. Yes. giant. I mean, I think perhaps you're confusing um, Wyatt Russell with the with um, Dud, which is his character's name, because Wyatt Russell is, of course, the child of two very famous people. Um, so he has no problem with money. But Dud, uh, the entire show, it's all about the launching point is um, he's squatting in apartments that no longer belong to him because he was evicted, essentially. Like, he does okay. not. Yeah, no Crippling money. Debt. <laughs> Crippling debt. No money. Um and uh and like very little skills um which (laughs) we'll see what three people who work in media have to say about yeah we'll see what allison and noel have to say about wow (laughs) i wonder if my skills are useful um Hey, you realize you're talking to a part-time writer and most of the time classical violinist, right? And we're headed into a recession. Yay! 
Yay. Okay, fair. Still, I, I like to believe that people will always need music lessons. Anyway, um, you can join us on our Lodge 49 journey starting on Monday, which I'm excited about. And we are actually, despite the fact that we're going down to two days a week, um, are actually going to do something on Tuesday. Kate and I are sort of like a little crossover with one of the other podcasts I'm on. Um, I do not have a link for you yet, but we're going to be using a platform called Crowdcast. Kate and I will both tweet it. Uh, it is a really great interactive broadcasting thing. And Kate and I are going to talk about comfort food TV um, if you need a distraction on election day. So one thirty, just like it normally is, comfort food TV. Yeah, Can't wait to talk about they shoot horses, don't they? <laughs> Yay. You you can watch while you're in line to vote if you haven't already. Yes. If you if you have not yet already. Or you can wa you can listen. Crowdcast does have mobile capabilities. You can listen while you're walking to a box to put your mail in ballot in the certified box and not mm -hmm. in the mail. You can do that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what my partner and I did. It's good. It's fun. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap things up for today. So thank you, Marcus, for hanging with us in the Zoom. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Over the Garden Wall and Murder, She Wrote. We'll be back next week with Lodge 49. Bye. 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 Bye.